Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special uh, episode of TF Labs. Uh, we're doing a live stream and we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. I'm excited because I got uh, some friends here with me and we're just going to be uh, just having a good time talking about what's happening in Bitcoin. You probably have been seeing it's been going up quite a bit um, and it, it passes all time high. Uh, so with that, I'm going to have my friends join me and uh, we'll have a good conversation. Welcome, everybody. Hey, Jonathan. Hey. Hey, why, why doesn't everybody just introduce themselves really quick? Um, Pat, why don't you go first? I'll just go in the order that you're all on the screen. Sure. Hi, I'm Pat Larson, uh, CEO, co-founder of Zenledger. We help uh, individuals and tax professionals with cryptocurrency tax filings, kind of like the TurboTax for cryptocurrency. Um, I used to be a Navy helicopter pilot. Uh, I've been in finance and tech. Awesome. Justin, you want to go next? Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm Justin Wu. Uh, I'm a growth marketer in the space. Uh, I just work as a consultant and uh, alongside with different projects uh, such as like uh, AirSwap, Matic Network, uh, and upcoming DeFi projects as well that are still uh, yet to be launched. Uh, and happy to share my perspective here from the community growth marketing perspective. Excellent. Carla. Hi, my name is Carlos Betancourt, and I'm the founding principal of BK Coin Capital. We're a digital asset hedge fund, and I'm uh, looking forward to the conversation tonight. Excellent. Thanks so much. Um, and I'm Jonathan, founder of TF Labs. We uh, put on conferences, events, and do some consulting uh, in the um, Bitcoin crypto space. Um, so, oh, and, and actually, here's Mitchell. Hey, Mitchell, what's up, man? We're just we're just doing some introductions. Would you mind introducing yourself to everybody? Yeah, I'm Mitchell. I am the editor in chief at Crypto Briefing. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks so much. So, um, everybody, uh, we are live right now, and we are ready to take on any of your questions that you might have. Uh, uh, this is the first time that we're doing this type of conversation. This is less of a panel, and this is more of just a, a group conversation. We're going to be talking about what's going on uh, in Bitcoin, uh, what's been happening over the last couple of weeks, and where we think things are headed. So uh, we really want you to be active participants um, in the conversation. Uh, so to start out, do us a favor. If you're watching this, just just uh, give us a little thumbs up or a like. Uh, and also just tell us where you're watching from. Uh, but yeah, doing a quick little retweet goes a long way so we get more people watching uh, us here. So uh, who wants to start? What's been happening with Bitcoin? We've been kind of doing this like rocket ship uh, since, I don't know, call it, October, like middle of October or so. And then all of a sudden we just had like this massive push over the last couple of weeks, right? Carlos, what's been happening? You, 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 I know you can play with the numbers. Yeah, yeah. I'm eager to talk, to talk to you guys about that. Well, you know, I, I think for the most part, obviously, you know, we've had a very strange year and I think um, everything that has come with that has been possible for all markets, not just crypto markets. Um, but then again, as you guys have seen the maturity of our of, of our asset class, we're actually looking at a lot of new folks and new faces from traditional finance taking a little bite of the apple, if you will. And I think that that's helped tremendously. Um, but more importantly, you know, we're very far along compared to even two years ago. And I think that growth in the space um, from any everywhere from custody to folks like Pat, for example, that are working um, very diligently to provide taxes 
uh, and tax help for an individual, whether it's a retail uh, investor or an institution. I think those are certain things that we didn't have two years ago, and, and that's uh, helping tremendously. And it's less about the FOMO and more about actual participants really looking for alpha and looking to deploy capital and in an asset that's completely uncorrelated from anything else out there. It, it, yeah, it definitely uh, it definitely feels different uh, this time around than than 2017. And, and you, you touched on it, right? Like there are sophisticated institutions and individuals getting into the space. Billionaires, um, you know, Logic the Rapper. <laughs> there, there's, uh, you know, you have the Paul Tudor Jones of the world. You have the the John, well, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the the second richest man in Mexico uh, just got in recently. Um, and, and institutions, you know, there's all this talk about um, PayPal, and you know, people are kind of shitting on it a little bit, but like that's that's actually that's made some difference there. Any thoughts on that, anybody? Yeah, I think uh, you know, you just look at the max chart for Bitcoin price, and uh, basically, you know, um, what is it? Since September 2017, spent almost all the time above five thousand, which is amazing think about it. And then uh, since April 2019, like a ton of time above 10,000, right? And, and that's just, I think it just shows there's just a lot of support. You'll, you, you see a huge sell off because there's still a high beta, right? Uh, in, in March, along with everything else. Um, but uh, I think it's really inspiring that the um, markets came back so quickly from 19,000 to 165 back to 19,000. So there, there's just a lot of appetite to, to buy what people are you know, selling, what they thought was the top, right? Only got to a historical all-time high. Um, so I think it doesn't feel like 2017 with all the ICOs and all the, the marketing activity that went on. There, there's not thousands, you know, hundreds of projects spending millions of dollars individually just shilling uh, tokens, right? Yeah. Um, it, it feels like there's a lot more rails there with with very large companies like Robinhood and, and Cash App and and, uh, and Coinbase has grown tremendously, um, and it, it seems like a lot more Bitcoin is is locked up and is not um, you know liquid at this point. Yeah, to, and to add to Pat, even you know announcements like today with Visa as well. I think once you start seeing some of these big heavy hitters coming into the space, it's very hard to ignore, right? Um, not to mention that. You know the, the return profile on Bitcoin by itself, it, it it's been tremendous. Um, so I think moving on to 2021, we're going to continue seeing more traditional faces coming in, pouring into the space, and hopefully taking it um, to the next step. Totally. And and Mitchell, what are you seeing, man? You're 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 reporting on this stuff daily. How how is uh How's that kind of stuff going? How's traffic and how, how are people certain searching a little bit differently? Because you've there's been a lot of memes out there saying that how, you know, like Bitcoin's going up, but searches for Bitcoin aren't necessarily going up, which, you know, I feel like when you start seeing it on CNN and, you know, all these other traditional media outlets like that's the search has to be you know, starting. Yeah, the price increases we've, we've seen this year so far have mostly been driven by institutional players and by companies purchasing stakes for like their treasuries or larger investors. So in terms of like 2017 mainstream type investors, uh, we're still not at the levels that we were three years ago. 
So that can be a good thing or a bad thing. It means that mainstream investors have not engaged with, uh, with the market activity yet. So there could be more room to go up, but it also could mean that the current bull market could lose momentum and could just stagnate. So good and bad. Yeah. 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 I think that, yeah, like right now, even with like 19,000, 20, up close to 20,000 Bitcoin, it's still not exciting for some uh, mainstream. <laughs> so it's like, what's the numbers going to take them to uh, be interested in, in Bitcoin? And if the, the number is too high, maybe they're, they feel like it's too intimidating. And that's where we see some other smaller price coins uh, see some uh, action and uplift that are, you know, other selections and choices on uh, Coinbase. Uh, with like Stellar, Ripple, Litecoin, etc., uh, seeing kind of like huge spikes as Bitcoin just kind of like been chilling out. Um, but overall, yeah, like from my perspective of working with a lot of different upcoming projects, uh, you know, I've seen there's been a, a lot of activity uh, in terms of DeFi and DeFi uh, coming in the sense that even though it's like Ethereum based, but the introduction of like wrapped Bitcoin is just locking up more Bitcoin. People just kind of like converting and just like sitting and holding and getting kind of like their DeFi farms has kind of uh, brought a lot of interest uh, from the bigger uh, players to want to participate that. And we can kind of see that happening with like 15, over 15 billion uh, TVL in uh, just the DeFi space uh, alone, um, which just adds in more uh, use cases for just like crypto overall, whether it be Bitcoin and altcoins, et cetera, um, versus like in 2017, again, all the uh, newer projects where it's just still all brand new um, piece of paper, white paper ideas. Um, now we have a little bit more maturity where there are interesting products now that uh, people can use or get stake yield uh, that you know provide more use cases and legs now uh, to grow the industry as well. So I yeah. think that there's a lot more happening now um, than there were previously. Uh, and you know we're seeing yeah PayPal coming in, uh, then uh, Facebook, uh, Libra or Deem, uh, De uh, whatever you're calling it now, uh, coming in January potentially as well too. So it's like a slow progression now where like these bigger companies are now paying attention and um, trying to like bring in their own digital currencies, uh, which can only try to help flip regulation. I think regulation, if we can flip re regulation uh, with the upcoming administration, hopefully. Uh, we'll kind of trend it in the, in the right direction, but we'll, we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, none, none of us here are political analysts, but do you guys think the, uh, just kind of how the election played out, uh, did that have anything to do with why Bitcoin started to charge up? Um, I mean, I think one thing is you, you still have to see what happens in the Senate. Uh, so 50%, uh, 50 seats for Democrats uh, leaves open the possibility of actual legislation being passed and like, crypto taxation, crypto regulation, or just the raising of taxes. Um, I think one reason you see, like there's still a desire for stimulus, but there's probably no desire for raising taxes, right? If, even if you just have 50 Democrats, there'll be a couple like purple ones and and you won't see uh, a raise in taxes, which is I think what the, the markets mostly responded to. Car Carlos, do you have a thought there? My thinking, I mean, regardless of what would have happened in the election, I think that I think everybody's set in stone and we're going to see more stimulus. And in general, that's going to be good for the space. Um, it's just a matter of the number. And at the end of the day, you know, whether it's Republican and it's maybe in the one billion or one, you know, a smaller range or Democrat and, and you get more, 
Um, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the folks that came into crypto this year are really looking very hard at it being a safe haven asset or a hedge against inflation. And if we keep printing, you know, I guess the writing's on the wall. Um, I kind of want to go back to one of Dustin's comments because I want to get everybody's thoughts on DeFi. I particularly like following DeFi, even though we don't participate in DeFi markets uh, as a company, as a hedge fund. But I, I just want to get your thoughts because to me, DeFi, where it stands today, is very reminiscent of maybe two or three years ago uh, when all of the ICOs were kind of coming al coming along and everybody was raising money, but you know we still didn't have the infrastructure that we have today, right? So um, there's maybe a, no more than a handful of DeFi uh, players that people trust or that haven't been hacked. Um, so I'm just curious to kind of see one from a tax per perspective, Pat, you know, what your thoughts are on DeFi, um, but also Mitchell and Justin, what, you know, what do you think is going to happen in the next year or so with DeFi? And do you think that it'll mature as quickly as we have matured, I guess, over the past two or three years? Mitchell, you have thoughts there? Yeah, I do. So our research division has made several buy recommendations on a few DeFi projects. And I'll say this to you, Carlos, like, yeah, it might be a little bit reminiscent to 2017 in terms of the valuations of some of these projects, but the major difference here is that they actually have products. They actually have users. People are using these protocols like Uniswap, SushiSwap, and they're generating revenue. So um, to make it completely ana analogous to 2017 is a bit ridiculous because they actually have businesses now. How can you compare something that is completely fictitious, some vaporware versus what, when I think, Yeah, when I said that it was more of, you know, even looking two years ago, there wasn't as many custodians as, as we have today. Um, we actually had to go through a lot of meetings and calls with custodians because they weren't really, they didn't really have a product that would service active traders, right? Active hedge funds. They had great products if you wanted to just hold uh, your cryptocurrencies in cold storage and you just kind of sit and wait. Uh, but they weren't very good in terms of, hey, I need my money now to place a trade um, and you would have to wait hours at a time to get your uh, your coins. Um, I think with DeFi, you know, you can think of Compound as an example, but you know, there's other pools out there that, you know, who who is behind them and and where's the money stored, and it it just kind of creates a little bit of a uh, uncertainty, if you will. Um, so I'm kind of curious as to what you guys think and if you guys are actively participating in DeFi. Well, so, you know, so on that note too, though, like, you know, how much does DeFi get to piggyback off of Bitcoin success, right? Like, um, in the sense of if, like, is it really just people interest from a, from an investment perspective? Is it people wanting to try to emulate, um, a, a you know, a Bitcoin like experience from a, uh, gains perspective? Mitchell, you look like you want to say something on that? <laughs> well, why don't, why don't you flip the question? How much is Bitcoin benefiting from DeFi success? <laughs> you think so? I like, I like that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, look at a lot of these. Uh, I'm just going to take Uniswap because I think they're a prime example of a profound product that has a material impact on the overall crypto space. Now, if you are a, a new cryptocurrency project and you want to start something and you need to be listed and you want liquidity, 
Uniswap can allow you to do that and gain access to a user base and liquidity without any KYC and also without any listing fees. Like it is wholly democratized access to a lot of these smaller projects and has made operating in this space a lot easier if you are trying to actually make a product. No. Yeah, and to add to that, uh, you know, I think the DeFi space is still super new, uh, but it's super, there's a lot of development happening and it's happening at a very rapid pace. Uh, you know, like there's, there's still like new concepts that haven't been rolled out, like decentralized credit, decentralized loans, insurance, uh, different tranche systems as well, too, that are all very experimental still. And we're just at the start of it. Um, what we're seeing very rapidly now, though, is that, uh, Despite that there's being a scams and rug pulls every single day and investors using losing 10 millions of dollars at a time, there's still an excitement, weird excitement. And that's kind of like a weird expected norm, which is yeah. uh, a little bit weird uh, compared to like what happened in 2017, where if one project vaporized with 10 million, uh, it would have like crashed or pulled down the market overall with it. But uh, this very, uh, you know, the DeFi uh, front runners are still supporting and, and pushing it uh, along. And I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing a little bit more um, consolidation in, this, in, the, in the fact with like Yearn doing all these mergers with all, a lot of other top projects. Uh, but also too, we're seeing uh, uh, more like less anonymous projects, which is great for what we're seeing in terms of maturity where more trust is moving away from again, like random white papers to a little bit more proven people that can put their name and their team behind the project uh, with, behind like SushiSwap, uh, Sam, and uh, and all these other upcoming projects as well too. So I think that, uh, you know, it's exciting. And I think that uh, with the, and the fact that like Coinbase was like quick to like instantly list like Uniswap and these other upcoming DeFi tokens has showed uh, the importance and disruption that DeFi has in, in, in the overall like uh, crypto space and, and trust overall. So I think that it does have a profound effect in Bitcoin and especially like rap Bitcoin now has helped uh, people who would have had held Bitcoin, uh, but, you know, package it up in uh, ERC-20 uh, and still farm and, and still invest or be participate in these uh, DeFi um, products has been uh, a huge effect. And I think that uh, it's, it's only uh, bringing the market up overall with more use cases. So, someone yeah. touch on that on wrapped Bitcoin. Like, what does that mean? Well, you get a custodian and you give them your Bitcoin and they say, OK, we're going to issue you a token and you have a right to that Bitcoin now. So I don't know. I have my own problems with wrapped Bitcoin because uh, you still have to trust somebody. So that's problematic. But it basically allows you to get access to the Ethereum ecosystem and to different DeFi projects. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, we want to open up the questions, yeah. so make sure that you're uh, feel free to asking them as uh, as we come up. Uh, I'm going to touch on a couple of them real quick. So um, Matt is asking. We, we talked about this a little bit. Um, is uh, how much does what's going on with Bitcoin have to do with like instability in the overall market? Right, the money printer. Uh, we print. There's trillions of dollars have been printed. Um, you know, is there loss of confidence in fiat as a store of value what do you guys all think about that it, it obviously plays some factor in it I, I think what you're seeing is just a an everything asset bubble right so if you if you just have more dollars but you have the same amount of stuff 
then everything costs more because, you know, like it's, it's limited goods instead of limited uh, money to buy those goods. Right. Uh, so it's, 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 it's going into public equity markets very clearly. Uh, it's, it's uh, rampaging through the housing markets because there's scarcity because people can't sell their homes. But the, the one time a, a house goes on sale, um, it's, it's bid on by a two doctor couple, a two lawyer couple, and and it goes to highest bidder. It's like one first class seat being sold on an airline, right? So, so the the home prices are still there, um, just because it's it's low volume. Well, I, I guess the volume is even coming back at this point. Um, I, I, so I think it depends on which assets, though. Like you're seeing yeah. lower consumer demand because of COVID. So products like good, yeah. tangible goods are still the same price or are decreasing, and inflation remains relatively so, relatively low. But you're seeing stock prices and housing prices, like you mentioned, going up, like yeah. yield providing assets. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think people are, uh, you know, kind of shorting the dollar in that way, right? So when you buy uh, uh, an asset that you hope is appreciating, you're hoping it's appreciating against dollars. That's the whole point of buying uh, a share of stock or, or, or token, right? Um, so I, th I think you are seeing that. And I, it, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because the world's going through a couple kind of modern novel ideas, right? Modernity is only like a hundred years old, right? The last, you know, it's, it's not that new that we've had global markets and, and a bunch of technology. So we're figuring out like how money printing works uh, with, with like three or four central banks printing as fast as they can and uh, money being uh, globally, you know, shiftable around, right? People, people can move it wherever they want, which is also interesting. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the people who were already into Bitcoin have had nothing but confirmation, you know, bias, like uh, piling on more, right? The more smart people are saying it's it's a good bet, diversify your portfolio into it. You know, investment banks that really have no stake in, in hyping up Bitcoin are, are, are releasing reports with, with higher price targets, which is interesting. I'm not sure what the dynamic is there. I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I never think it's... Um, uh, analyst integrity that drives those reports. That's they're calling that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> or maybe JP Morgan's like fixing to buy Coinbase or something. So, <laughs> it, I always like to compare things to you know some some countries in Latin America, and, and you know we always bring up Venezuela as an example. And you you go to Venezuela today, and the entire economy is dollarized. Uh, you go to a kiosk to purchase your newspaper and you pay in U.S. dollars down there. Um, before there was actual U.S. dollars in circulation, everybody was exchanging crypto or looking for ways to exchange crypto, those who had the opportunity to do so. Um, I think we're going to start seeing that more and more with other economies like Argentina as a, another example. Um, but I think you guys are are totally right. I think the more we continue printing, I think a lot of people are really paying closer attention, not just to Bitcoin, but maybe other coins as well that they deem um, a good place to hold value, I guess. Um, and in addition to that, I think some of the money that we've printed hasn't necessarily been uh, delivered to small businesses, uh, as an example. And we had Secretary Mnuchin um, speak earlier today saying, hey, we still haven't deployed all that capital. Um, when will they get it? I'm not sure, but I think a lot of small businesses are suffering and probably they should move uh, quickly to to help them out and aid them. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're, you're, you brought up Venezuela. That's definitely a use case that comes up quite a bit. Um, Carlos and I are actually both from Venezuela. So we're, we're familiar uh, with that use case quite a bit. Uh, I do think it gets overplayed personally uh, because there's massive, massive infrastructure systemic issues um, in the place. But nonetheless, yes, it is better than, of course, holding, you know, fiat. I, I think that that goes back to the point of how many people are really participating in crypto right now too, right? Like DeFi is super hot, super buzzworthy, but there's not that many people participating in it. It's 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 um, it's arcane and it's whales still dominating, right? Um, it, I think what's different in character between the ICO craze is ICOs was I'm just going to keep selling my bag to the next people, right? Like, I don't care. I'm just getting in here and there's going to be a sucker that's going to come along and I'm going to dump this bag on them. And I'm going to get a quick 2X or whatever. Whereas in DeFi, it is, you you have to produce real results. You have to show revenue streams. You have to show real adoption. It's verifiable whether these guys have traction. There, there's still a rug pull to Justin's point. There's still exit scams. But, uh, you know, the ICO craze was basically just a one-year delayed rug pull. Whereas yeah. in DeFi, the rug pulls happen sooner. It's it's a shorter feedback and, loop. And and here's the thing: and the rug pull might not even be intentional and be like, "Oh, we yeah. forgot this critical bug in our contract. All the money's gone." Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the bug bounty. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, again, people watching, please feel free to to ask questions uh, as uh, they come up. So let's talk a little bit about just the institutions. Uh, so. Institutions are getting in, um, and apparently that's part of the main driver of what has been uh, bringing Bitcoin up. Uh, and, and again, and same with these billionaires, right? You have billionaires buy, buying large positions and companies, MicroStrategy, Square. Was it Square? I always get Square Stripe. Yeah, Square. You know, um, having a, a huge position in it. And uh, they look pretty smart now, right? Like I remember when the MicroStrategy guy. Put in, I think he bought in at like 9,500, um, and people were like, "This is crazy! Like, how are you going to do that?" And you know, he basically doubled that's, his that's treasury. That's the trade of the century, right there. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. He, got, he had board control, so he he disclosed that he owned 10 million of Bitcoin at the time. So it's the yep. ultimate shill. I, I thought, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm a big fan. I think one of the things he did was also disclose his personal holdings. And he only disclosed that after the fact that they went in and invested. Um, I think it was a, an incredible play. And um, I mean, you you have you know folks like Skybridge right now filing an SEC amendment to invest in Bitcoin. Um, Guggenheim also looking to invest uh, with Grayscale. Um, you have so many good products now. Uh, CME absolutely tearing it up in terms of what they've been doing. Um, so I think there is a lot more investable products out there that we didn't have just a few months ago, if you will. And, and it's really making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Who else? What you got? What are the questions? Well, you, you, you'd <laughs> asked about uh, tax implications. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, you, you, I, I was wondering if you had any clients that, um, that you're uh, servicing and if they have participating in DeFi and, and kind of how that works. Yeah, so a lot of our customers have significant assets. That's why they're willing to, um, you know, 
pay for the software, but also they've engaged uh, uh, a tax professional, usually a CPA, and then sometimes also um, a, a lawyer as a tax expert. Um, so they're, they're, a lot of times they are doing pretty sophisticated things. And uh, in, in general, what happens is you go and you, you know, put your Bitcoin in uh, BlockFi, and then you'll earn interest in Bitcoin. Um, and so at time of receipt of that interest, that's, that's income. And that's interest income, you know, standard income. And then uh, once you received that Bitcoin, say January 1st, you receive one Bitcoin in interest, the clock starts on the uh, long or short-term capital gains of that Bitcoin. So if you sell it in six months, it's short-term capital gains. Uh, and if you sell it in, you know, um, in a year plus a day, it's long-term capital gains. And that's, that's most of the tax implications for DeFi. Uh, with Ethereum, Ethereum 2, um, uh, the switchover will be non-taxable uh, Ethereum to Ethereum 2, but the staking uh, will be taxable, just like income and capital gains, but it won't happen until you uh, gain control of the asset, so like two years from now or something. Right. Pay attention, guys, whoever's listening here. <laughs> Make sure you file your taxes. Yeah, so tax loss harvesting is coming up in December. Uh, we help with that, and that's like a, a smart thing to do. If you if you got into DeFi early and and you took a bath and then you, you sold it at the bottom and you know you, you have those those losses uh, to put to put to your Bitcoin gains, then then congratulations. But like you can, you can offset uh, some of the gains that we're all having now with with some of the losses you had, or you know who who knows the next thirty days there may be another like short ten percent downturn, but you're still a believer. And so you can like sell December 31st, buy back in January 1st and capture a tax loss asset and still have your, your crypto. Awesome. I've, I've seen a, uh, a quest, question that's come yeah. up a few times with the BlockFi's new Bitcoin back card. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm stoked for that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are excited, but they're, they're curious about um, tax implications of those cashback rewards, whether they'd be considered a discount on purchases or if they would have some other sort of basis when they receive that Bitcoin on purchase. Yeah, I, I think that'll have to be hashed out. I, I don't think there's, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen a couple other places where they've they've um, structured the cashback uh, as a discount or something. So it didn't have to be considered income. So you don't have a bunch of people like claiming they got $17 of income this year from, from American Airlines or something, right? Uh, so so, so they, they avoided that mess there. Um, but uh, airline miles and cashback rewards aren't uh, appreciating assets and, and a financial, you know, like, and uh, so so I, I think it's, it's going to be tough to hash this out. Most people have such small rewards that they won't really care. Is the is the other thing like so the government won't won't care because they'll be under whatever threshold that that, that matters to really hash out this this issue um, to start. And and again with you know forty eight senators or fifty senators like are they going to tackle this stuff? Are they going to care about it enough? Um, I, I would I would think that legislation and regulation are still going to stay in a gray area for a while and. Um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see, you know, other jurisdictions in the world like Crypto Valley and, and Switzerland or something or Singapore, if, if they if they race ahead and kind of force the U.S.'s hand, um, because I, I don't I, I personally don't see our Congress uh, passing comprehensive crypto regulation, taxation uh, legislation. I mean, yeah. do, do you remember the Facebook um, try or, uh, you know, panels or whatever, when they were like, you know, do you, is this how the internet works basically? 
So yeah, it, it's, it doesn't look like that'll happen anytime soon, but it becomes a competition issue, right? Like it comes a innovation and competition issue if we, yeah. if we don't do those things. Yeah, I mean, at some point people care, right? So if, if you have 40 million Americans that hold, call it 250 billion of crypto at this point, like probably have half the world's crypto, maybe more, right? Uh, that that becomes uh, significant. You know, if, if you think that one or two percent churns as income or capital gains tax per year, that's uh, you know that's billions of dollars that the federal government or state governments like New York and California are losing out on uh, at a time when there's uh, tight budget. You know, so I, I think at some point people start caring. I, I think you're absolutely right. When it comes to taxes, that's when they start caring. You know, we could add up all of our ages in this live stream, and that'll probably be the the average age of con of a congressman. And I think <laughs> that's the biggest divide that we have in our country. Um, I think, you know, when you're grilling somebody and you don't even understand the subject matter, um, you kind of lose credibility right there. And I think some of these folks in the Senate just don't understand what what this is about and we are losing to several Asian countries, several European countries when it comes to pushing regulation. Um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I'm still optimistic that we'll kind of get somewhere with a, at the very least a digital dollar, a real digital dollar, um, but we'll see. I think you guys are right. I think it's gonna take a little bit longer. So, so Carlos is advocating for a technocratic overthrow, which I, I second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, when you see, um, you know, call it these uh, name brand institutions getting involved, your PayPal's, uh, your, you know, JP Morgan Chase, was it Citibank that said, you know, 380, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin at 380K uh, a couple weeks ago? So what does that do, you think, from a legislative standpoint? Does that does that even matter? Does that even play a factor? Or is that more just, I don't want to say market manipulation, but market uh, influence? I, I think it was a marketing document, right? There, there, there can't be any rigor behind their, their price. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, just some random <laughs> analyst, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't was, take it too seriously. Yeah. It was, re I guess, quote unquote, research, uh, research paper. Um, but then again, I wanted you guys to, to create a research paper and say it's going to go uh, just to double down. <laughs> well, they, they went after McAfee. So that's, you know, that's a problem. Yeah, and I, you know, I, he was supposed he was supposed to do something, but that he never, you know, lived up to. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he was supposed to do something, then he went to jail. So, <laughs> did he get apprehended? Yeah, he did. So he, did. he, oh, he did. I didn't he, hear that. He ran around. So he fled to Belize, yep. and uh, very publicly <laughs> did a bunch of uh, securities, you know, uh, violations, uh, while also publicly um, uh, evading taxes. So, so he kind of said, "Hey, IRS, SEC, come at me, right?" Oh, and then, yes. and they did. They arrested him in Spain, and uh, I think he's awaiting extradition. But the Department of Justice put out a full statement uh, saying that he's looking at millions in fines and and decades of jail uh, for all of it, because you know, like he just he kind of stood up in front of the world and said, "I'm flouting all the laws, right? There's like nothing untouched here that I'm was, so." Made on his yacht in the Bahamas, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, according to his accounts, they were sending black helicopters after him. 
can't stay in the Bahamas forever. <laughs> yeah. So, so someone in the thread, Luke, uh, Luke is asking about uh, Brian's tweet about legislators and Trump. I didn't, I didn't hear about that. I'm assuming that's Brian Armstrong. You guys know what's yeah. going on? Yeah, it's Brian Armstrong. What, what happened there? Brian tweet probably uh, right before Thanksgiving. Well, he stopped. Um, he took down all the derivatives last week on yep. the platform because of a regulatory statement. So. He then he and then he publicly posted about why there needs to be more regulatory clarity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I mean I I again I, I don't think that uh, you know the next secretary of treasury is gonna honor much of what Mnuchin's doing, right? Like I don't I don't quite understand it. Yeah. Uh, you know. By the way, did you guys know that Mnuchin is one of the producers of Lego Batman? Just a fun fact. What? Yeah, I was watching Lego Batman with my son, and all of a sudden, so it's like the producers on there is like Steve Mnuchin. So of course, I look it up real quick. So uh, takes money to make money, man. Yeah, secretary. I think, if, I think if Coinbase is thinking about you know you know halting derivative trading, you know maybe they can spend some time in in fixing their exchange so that it doesn't go down every time. It's there's unreal no how that happens every single time. So. I was, I was, I think I tweeted this. I can't remember, but uh, Coinbase is way too sophisticated of a company to have those types of outages every time there's a massive change in the market. Because that happened in 2017, every all the time, and basically every massive change it breaks. Which um, you know, I, I just can't imagine any one of our businesses doing that when when our businesses are needed most. It doesn't work. And then we're okay. I don't. I don't get it. I. I. You know. I personally think it's a huge problem, and I think some of their competitors are having a little bit of, of fun on Twitter every time that that happens, because you know, then you'll have the head of Kraken saying, "Hey, we're up. Come, come trade here." And <laughs> why not? Honestly, yeah. At the end of the day, like every single time there's any kind of real market movement, they just shut off. I don't know what I don't understand. So, okay, so not to be like I don't know conspiracy person here, but like, is there any world where Coinbase benefits from it crashing? Because I, I can't explain why that would still be the case every single time. I, I don't. I'm not saying there is, but like, how do you not fix that? I mean, the, so the simplest explanation is they built it early on and there are a couple like choke points in their it's like fundamental architecture Just and they've they've never been willing debt. to overhaul it right <laughs> yeah like that's i mean that's like otherwise like just like bring on some more aws servers or something it, i, I it think there's yeah it couldn't handle the xrp army so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i have a friend tuning in right now that has been trying to withdraw from coinbase and i think it's taking him longer than if he were to wait for okx to to reactivate withdrawals uh, i don't know they i don't know what they need to do but they maybe they can use this team wisely if they're not uh, trading derivatives I've yet not your keys, not your crypto. I've yet to hear a good explanation as to why that's. Uh... Well, they'll never say what's really happening because it's probably just too embarrassing. It's it's not like a good... like someone's old server like in a closet. Because if it was fixable, it would be fixed, right? So if it yeah. was, if it, um, but I I don't think it's intentional because it, it's it's a well, uh, it goes against everything they want to happen. Sure, sure. 
Yeah. What, what happened? Do do you ex do trades ever get stalled out and then execute differently, or, or no? That that wouldn't happen. I mean, it, it depends on the kind of trading you're doing, but you know, I, I would expect for anybody else that's doing um, algorithmic trading to have you know certain parameters that that would halt trading altogether if um, that connection drops. I think one thing that's very important that a lot of people don't think about is a lot of servers, not just for the exchanges, but you know even folks like BlockFi recently, they're all sitting on AWS or Google cloud services. And if those folks are having issues, then everybody's having issues. And um, yeah, I, I wonder if it, it, it has to do with that as well. Um, and obviously I don't think uh, those companies are gonna throw anybody under the bus, particularly the Amazons of the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, like that's something people don't talk about. I thought it was a good observation. Like, um, like sewers are the base uh, unlocking technology that allowed for cities, right? Like, without them, like everyone just just died. There's there's nothing else. Uh, and AWS is like the base foundation of angel investing, and then of crypto on top. Like, without yeah, AWS, right. you just wouldn't have any of it. Like, um, it allowed companies to be much smaller and require less funding. You didn't have to buy a IBM mainframe for $2 million uh, just, just to see if you could start coding. Yeah. For sure. For, for sure. Uh, someone asked a question that I, I always love getting this question. Uh, what, it's, it's Luke Walsh. He says, um, you know, what are people's positions that they feel comfortable uh, saying basically, and like, you know, have we bought or sold recently? And, um, uh, he's mentioning that he hasn't, but I, I always love answering it like this. Um, I may, or I may not own Bitcoin. That's kind of like my, 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 <laughs> my response. I may or may not own it and let people kind of go from there, but you hear me talk about it enough that you probably can understand that I do. <laughs> I'm not I mean, a fan personally of like the people, I don't know if you guys are, but like the people that like buy Bitcoin and then they like show their receipt on Twitter. I feel like that to me feels very problematic. It's like, hey, uh, I have $100,000 in my house right now. And it's like, you're basically, I don't know. Sure, like, you have come, to- Come hit my kneecaps with whatever. a hammer. <laughs> yeah, I mean like, I'm yes, I'm sure you have it very secure, but like, I don't know why you want to let everybody know how much you, you have. It's, it kind of reminds me of like when 50 Cent got angry with the government and started like showing his piles of cash. <laughs> or, or it reminds you of McAfee, you know. Yeah, talking. exactly. It's like, I don't know. Come visit me. I'm in Belize. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I, Honestly, like like Pomp says, I think he says he has over fifty percent um, uh, leverage on or in Bitcoin, right? There's a lot of people that fifty percent oh, leverage isn't the right word you're looking for. Or not leverage. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he's fifty. <laughs> I mean, he tweets like he's he's at least a hundred x. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, more power to anybody that with you know with balls that oh. big, but um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think in terms of like, you know, uh, going back to the the original question, you know, as to whether or not he should go in and buy now, it's entirely up to the investor to make a decision of how he's looking to invest in, in Bitcoin. Is this a long-term investment? Does he just want to kind of get his feet wet and go in and out? Because there was a wonderful opportunity to buy the dip, you know, right before Thanksgiving. And now we're right back to 19,000. Um, 
you know, that's a, you know, in my, in my book, that's a great trade. Um, if it's something that he's looking to do long-term, you know, what is his thesis for his investment? Does he want to diversify? Does he want to, you know, maybe put that back out to him and, and we'll, we'll answer a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think too, it's, um, you know, one thing I like to say is that it's always going to feel expensive no matter when you purchase it. Right. Like I'm sure people who bought, got, who, who were smart enough to get in at $10 or in the sense were like, you know, this is expensive, but, if your if your plan is that long term hodl, then um, I, I think you'll be okay, right? I don't, I don't think anybody's ang- anybody who ha- is sitting with Bitcoin right now. I don't think they're angry if they bought it at you know nine thousand versus ten thousand. I think one thing that people don't get over is they they think they have to buy whole shares, right? Yeah. They don't understand yeah. fractional stuff. Mm-hmm. You can buy a sat, right? I I think it's completely disingenuous when people keep saying there's only 21 million Bitcoin ever. And I'm like, no, there's 2.1 quadrillion sats. There's 2.1 times 10 to the, whatever, I can't remember, 14th or something, uh, 16th sats, right? Hey, Um, just sats. (laughs) We sell these shirts, by the way, if if anybody wants them. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. I asked my team the other day, you know, you know, everybody in the industry is in it, right? And we're keeping our heads down, we're building and, you know, time flies and you just look back to March. And if I would have tell you guys right now, would you buy Bitcoin at $4,000? Everybody would jump at that opportunity. We had that opportunity in March um, to go in and everybody would buy, right? So it's hard to always look back and look at a price and think, okay, I should have bought then. I think it becomes more of like, what is your style and what are you really looking to get out of your investment? Um, and it, this holds true for everything else, not just cryptocurrencies. Um, if you have a thesis and you're um, bullish in, in anything and your fair price of that asset is you know above what it's trading now, then you should never worry about where you go in. Um, if you do, then you know that's scared money. Scared money doesn't make you money. Mm-hmm. I, so one dynamic I would say is the rich are going to keep getting richer because the rich have access to negative interest rates and they can pile into whatever they want that's going to appreciate. Uh, they, you know, they can lever up and, and whatnot. So if you if you kind of have the thesis that the wealthy are going to look for alternative assets, then you can kind of front run them now because there's the vast majority of the very wealthy have not gotten into crypto as an alternative asset. They've gotten into all sorts of other alternative assets, but this is the one that they haven't discovered yet, right? Uh, but they're they're sitting they're they're the ones right in front of the money printer. It's not being aired, you know, five hundred dollars isn't showing up in your bank account, but you know, fifty you know, hundred million dollars is showing up in Fortune five uh, five hundred companies, right? And they're they're deploying it how they want to. Um, right. So so that's you know that's that's one thesis for getting in now and just dollar cost averaging and and whatnot. I think the the other interesting meme you always see is like the lowest price per year of Bitcoin, right? Um, so that's, that's only something to think about too. You don't, you don't look at the max prices. You look at the, the, the floor price each time and, and the thesis is, well, that, you know, that probably should keep going up if there's a bunch of, uh, money printing going on that makes dollars less valuable. And then there's a lot of institutions getting in that are, uh, not going to panic sell their, their large blocks. You'll still always get a bunch of panic selling, you know, like in March because people have to pay rent 
and they can't afford to, to lose their, they have $1,000 in Bitcoin, right? And they, they need, you know, that's all they have. So they, they flush it because they need that $1,000 to buy food and, and, yep. and uh, pay the rent. That is the wrong way to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's always, uh, there's always people that are going to hit market sell, right? In, in, in any asset class, there's always weekends that are speculating and, and can't stand the losses. And they're always going to hit market sell and that's going to drive volatility in that market in the short term. When it, right. And it has to do with like kind of like what your price setting and your incentives are overall, because uh, what's his name? Dave Portnoy, for example, like he he got in real quick and then sold real quick. But his his mindset has kind of been more from like a day trader standpoint. Right. So from in that day trading scenario over those course a couple of days, it didn't really quite make sense. You know, of course, now it's easy to say, hey, like you, <laughs> you know, you bought that twenty five thousand dollar loss would have been, you know, however many basically a double gain uh, overall. But you're right. It's difficult when it's, you know, depending on how much liquid assets or, uh, you know, investable, you know, cash you have on hand. Right. You know, you got to you got to eat first. You got to have a roof over your head first. You know, all, all those sort of things. I think he only eats pizza. So uh, and it's only one bite. Everybody knows the rules. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, cracks me up. That guy cracks me up. Yeah, Marie Dawson's asking for price um, price predictions in the next year or two. Uh, I, it seems like the weight of the waves bring bring it down. So, like, a, if you get a double, a quick double in Bitcoin in, in thirty days or something, like the that that graph gets too high and it'll you get that ten or twenty percent correction on that. It does it doesn't run away like um, uh, smaller uh, coins. Yeah. So, so I, I, I wouldn't think expect ten. a 10x in a year. I don't think you that's the 10x in one year. I, I would not expect that. Would not. Expect. Would not expect it. Yeah, I the Winklevoss guys. I think they said 25x uh, in the next year. I think Bitcoin's getting le less risky, so you can't really depend on past price history. Like the risk profile of Bitcoin from 2010 to 2015 is much different than from 2015 to 2020. So right now it's a much surer bet. So you're not going to see like 100x returns in two years. Like that's just kind of outlandish, or at least I don't think you will. Yeah. But but we only need 1% of global money to flow into Bitcoin and then it'll be worth $12 trillion. <laughs> I mean, well, people- I, you know, I think what becomes interesting is again, kind of the whole uh, global economy standpoint. I mean, it, it's to me, it's still crazy how uh, how, everything is still going up considering uh what it's wall street versus main street right and so you know if, if for some reason the market tanks you know a lot of people assume that there's like this inverse between um stock market and bitcoin but i wouldn't be surprised if if the market takes bitcoin is going to tank a little bit also that's just my kind of thought so it just depends like what really happens overall we saw uh, that already in March. Yeah, or, exactly, exactly my point. For the uh, for most most of the year, um, I would say we were highly correlated to, you know, the S and P five hundred. Um, yeah. We track correlation very closely, and um, at the end of the day, if we see a huge pullback or if we see a huge crash, like March, as Mitchell said, you know, it, it's very hard for it to go the other way. Yeah. 
I mean, th there's a number of algorithmic, uh, algorithmic traders or flash, you know, uh, uh, trading Bitcoin, right? So as soon as the momentum goes one way, like they're gonna they're gonna slam it down. Like they have a uh, a lot of trades in there, right? And they're leveraged, so you will see the sell-offs will still be sharp. You know, nineteen thousand for everybody. Will you and will you and Carlos kind of explain that for everybody how that works? Like why they do that? You know, short gains. Like what is that? Carlos, go ahead. Yeah, I think the easiest way to think about it is if you're placing a trade and you're using leverage, um, you're basically borrowing money to put the trade on, right? And if the market moves away from you, you get a margin call and basically you get liquidated. And when that happens, and it happens usually at certain levels, it creates this ripple effect of other people that are also using leverage getting liquidated. And that's what's usually taking down, you know, different levels and different um, uh, places in the market where let's just say two or three big whales get liquidated. And then you see all of these retail investors at the same time that are doing more than 10 X just absolutely it's like pulling the rug from your feet and you just kind of come down. And that's what you you see a lot in, in crypto. And, you know, two of the things that, that a lot of people forget to to realize in crypto one thing that we already talked about is fractional trading but the second thing is before bitmex there wasn't a hundred x places you couldn't go anywhere and say oh i'm gonna lever up you know even 20x like that was very very uncommon um so i think one the first people that start noticing and start getting hurt are the retail investors because usually they're not as familiar um, you know, I think over time they learn, but at the same time you lose the customers, right? If they lost all their money, I, I think that that leaves a sour taste in your mouth and you probably won't go back to trading anymore. Um, yeah. this year in particular, we happen to be sitting at home for the most part. And a lot of people have extra time. And I think 1200 or 1400 bucks that we got from the government. So yeah, no student loan payments. And then, and then you... <laughs> Then you start day trading um, and then you lever up and, you know, some people are going to be taking profits and moving the market down and then you're going to get margin called and, you know, there's your money. I think the other thing is that algorithms uh, are often built uh, to look at the exact same indicators and take the exact same actions. So they, you know, you have five hedge fund shops all doing the algorithmic trading and they all look at the same things and then they all get a sell indication at the same time and they all try to sell to each other against each other and then it, it plunges down until enough people kind of step in uh, to put in the bottom there and then they'll turn around and they'll now it's all by indicators for the algorithms right and then they'll just buy up. also it's nice when you have an algorithm that's much faster than humans right so that's one other advantage that institutions have over retail and until this year most of crypto was retail driven so you know, in, in a way, those are the guys that got hurt the most. Um, so, so the the recent dip too, like the Thanksgiving dip, you saw um, 7 a.m. East Coast, people wake up and they freak out and they hit market sell, right? Like that's exactly what happened. It was clearly <laughs> what happened, right? And, you know, East Coast of the United States probably holds whatever, 10% of global crypto assets, right? So it's significant. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy.
Uh, well, we're probably going to wrap up here. So if you are watching, uh, do us a couple of favors. Please uh, subscribe and like wherever you are. Uh, give us your last questions um, and put them here. Um, you know, what are, what are some closing thoughts you all want to leave uh, people with as they kind of think about you know, Bitcoin, what's just happening in the world, what they're going to eat for dinner? <laughs> I guess, I, you know, from my my stand, I think that a lot of people have a misconception that, you know, all of the crypto hedge funds are, you know, taking crazy bets and they have crazy drawdowns. We, you know, happen to have carry a market neutral strategy. Uh, we're really trying to hit singles and doubles month over month. Um, we're trying to minimize drawdowns. Um, over the course of this year, we've, we've had 82% positive days uh, with a max drawdown of less than 3%. Um, November was a great month for us. We were up 8.6% and since inception, we're up 107%. And we're not taking the same risk that some others are out there. So I, I would, if you're looking to invest in, in, in crypto, do your homework, do your research and, and approach the folks that, um, that are putting amazing products out there, not just ourselves, but you know, there's other competitors that have different strategies, whether, whether it is momentum driven strategies um, long short strategies that have really put a, a great focus in minimizing drawdowns and, and kind of trying to, to control the volatility. Um, so if you guys want to reach out to us, feel free to uh, reach out to us via Twitter or our website, uh, bkcoincapital.com. Nice. Who else? I'll go real quick. I think kind of like one of my observations or something that I'm just super interested about is um, like, what does it take? So, you know, a lot, we're talking a lot about from a consumer perspective, like what it takes to get in as a consumer. Uh, I'm curious, like, you know, what is it for you to start thinking about Bitcoin from a company perspective, right? So like if, if you uh, are a startup or you're any type of company and you have large amounts of cash on hand, you know, at what point do you start to think about putting some of that into Bitcoin uh, as a store of value? Uh, I think we'll start to see a lot more people uh, or sorry, a lot more companies thinking that way, uh, especially because, uh, you know, what has recently happened with some of these uh, companies. And then on this other side of it is like, you know, at what point do companies or institutions start demanding payment in Bitcoin? Right. It's like, hey, I don't want you to pay me cash anymore. I want you to pay me in Bitcoin. And what does that look like? So I think those are things that people got to be prepared for. And. Um, you know, really just start thinking about at least have a strategy, right? doesn't mean that you're going to go ahead and start buying a big treasury uh, or start storing in your treasury Bitcoin. But like, what is your strategy for when that happens or when that takes place? Because if you're not thinking about that at the moment that it does, in fact, happen or it should happen, you're, you're basically too late or behind the eight ball. Yeah, um, so okay. I think some common misconceptions I always come into is that, you know, crypto is uh, anonymous and it's uh, non-taxable and all those things. And uh, that, that's not the case. Uh, the, the IRS is, is sending out tens of thousands. Yeah, it's like yeah. further from the truth, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so you, the U.S.-based exchanges are, are sending, um, you know, 1099K aggregate trading reports into, you know, the, the IRS and the government. Um, so they kind of know, like, your aggregate trading activity. Like you, you, if you trade back and forth one Bitcoin 50 times, it'll say there's a million dollars of trading activity there. And that's what the government sees. They don't know what your profit and losses are, but they know you turned a uh, million dollars of value of Bitcoin, right? 
Um, so that's something to think about in that uh, you, in the 2021 you know, year, April 15th, uh, the, the 1040 form has uh, a question above the fold front page that says yes or no did you transact in, in digital assets this year like um so you you can buy it's not a taxable event but if you if you if you sell you know there is taxable event so so the the irs is is going after people they're starting audits they went after mcafee the billionaire who's going to lawyer up so they're expecting to go to court they're expecting to fight over that right so that that's a big deal so i think you are going to see um you know, more compliance, more enforcement. A lot of our customers are buying multiple years, right? Like they bought for the first time this year to do their taxes, but they bought four years, like 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. Like they're like, okay, this is the first year I'm actually worried about compliance, but I know I have to come clean because I have to get everything correct up to date and I'll probably have to, you know, refile things. But we've, we've had customers find over $200,000 in cryptocurrency overpayments uh, when they redid their taxes uh, using our software. And we had uh, one customer who got a letter from the IRS criminal investigation division after he refiled his taxes for the third time that said, hey, we had a criminal investigation open on you, but since you refiled your taxes again, you know, you're good. Thanks. We're going to close out the criminal investigation. They, they don't tell you if they're investigating you. But they'll tell you if they closed out investigation on that was open. So, that's, so, that's good uh, you know, yeah. So something to think about. Uh, but yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Closing I guess, words, Mitchell, Justin. Yeah, my thoughts is just uh, just working in the business side and uh, on working alongside with a lot of uh, startups and companies in the space and interacting with a lot of other community members in the space too. It's a, I still think it's right now um, this I guess third third wave up leg up uh, is exciting. Uh, I think that the industry is getting bigger and bigger from my perspective and a lot of uh, really interesting products in this place uh, that it's uh, making me feel. Uh, more confident in the the industry as a whole so uh definitely encourage others that are still learning about it uh definitely do more of your research of anything that you are trying to get involved with and uh uh but right now it's still a, a good time to just at least learn what's happening in the crypto and blockchain and bitcoin uh overall so definitely encourage everybody that's watching to to definitely uh do not uh ignore what's happening <laughs> And it's fun. You get to meet cool people and and see them grow over the years. Like I, I think I think I've known all of you for like three four years, uh, directly related to crypto. Well, twenty years and uh, crypto years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we've had some battles, haven't we, Mitchell? That that, that is an understatement. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, closing thoughts from me. I would say don't think that Bitcoin is everything about the crypto market because there's so much more out there that's happening with DeFi, with Ethereum, with all these other protocols that are adding all this new functionality and all this new potential to, um, to the market. And beyond that, that's also where a lot of the returns are happening. Like you might see your holdings double in Bitcoin, but the recommendations that we've made in our portfolio were up 560% over 18 months. So if you're willing to take on more risk, Obviously, your losses will be steeper, but you can only lose 100% of your investment. <laughs> Unless you lever up. 560%. Yeah. <laughs> so you decide. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate you uh, joining me uh, this evening. I think it's something we're going to do uh, more often. So, uh, yeah, it's 
when you can't hang out, like this is the type of conversation we might have, you know, at a bar or at an event. So I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk. Awesome. No, great to see you all again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please make sure that you're liked and subscribed uh, wherever you're listening to this. So if you're on the YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, please share this. And uh, you can also uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at, at TFLabs underscore. And I'm at JG Products uh, on Twitter. Does anybody want to shout out their Twitters real quick so people can pay attention to where you're at? Yeah, at Mitchell Moose. I'll just give you at BK Coin Capital. I think Justin's on a call. Justin's at, at, at hack, Hackpreneur. At Hackpreneur. Uh, you can find it on the tweet from uh, TF Labs. Nice. Yeah. And uh, at Patrick Larson and uh, zenledger.io. Excellent. Excellent. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Uh, give us some comments and likes, and uh, we'll see you all soon. And uh, we actually do sell these shirts for real, just sats, if, if you like. So. All right. See you guys. We'll talk soon. Thank you, guys. Take care.